culture, ethnicity, race, identity, these are all at the very forefront of the national conversation right now. Anybody notice that? And the word that I hear most often used for the climate right now is the word polarized. I mentioned that a few weeks ago. I don't think that word is strong enough. I think the United States today is deeply divided. That's the word I would use, divided. But the United States is a kingdom born of this world, so division is something we should expect. What should actually alarm you and me gathered here this morning is that the church in the United States is deeply divided too. That should trouble us. The body of Christ in the United States is deeply divided today. And that is why I felt like it was important that we, we embark upon this series called Swimming Lessons, a deep dive into culture. Because if you and I aren't paying attention, if we're not careful, we can easily be swept up into that division. We can easily become more influenced by the broader society than by the body of Christ. We can, we can become malformed by the broader culture instead of being formed into the way of Jesus. And as Roots Covenant Church, we have decidedly, intentionally formed a multi-ethnic community, a community of misfits on a mission, finding identity, shared identity in Christ. And so to love one another better and to love one another the way that we're called to, to love one another the way that Christ has loved us, we have to learn about each other's cultures and we have to learn how to navigate these cultural waters that we're swimming in. So to that end, I want to introduce you to someone who has uh, influenced me in profound ways and my views on culture uh, and identity in Christ. Dr. Richard Twiss is a Lakota Sioux man who went to be with the Creator in 2013. Before he died, he authored two fantastic books that I can't recommend highly enough. The first is One Church, Many Tribes, Following Jesus the Way God Made You, and Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys, which is the best title for a book ever. The Na a Native American Expression of the Jesus Way. Through Dr. Twist's story and through his scholarship, I've learned a great deal about the relationship between our cultural identities, our ethnicities, and our identity in Christ. Like many Native Americans uh, of his age, he was taught that to be a follower of Jesus, he had to give up all of his Lakota Sioux practices, all of them. Even his language, he even had to cut his hair short. He tells this tragic story uh, of when he was a new Christian and he asked a white pastor uh, how he should navigate his native identity and his new Christian identity. He writes, I distinctly remember him opening the Bible that he was carrying and reading from Galatians 3.28, where Paul wrote, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all, you are all one in Christ Jesus. After reading the passage, this pastoral leader commented on how culture should all blend together for us as Christians. Then he concluded, so Richard, don't worry about being Indian, just be like us. That response, 
just be like us, is an ex excellent example of how we can become so immersed in our cultural waters, the waters that we're swimming in, that we don't even see them. We don't even know that they're there. This white pastor advising Dr. Twist didn't realize that being like him necessarily involved participating and adopting certain cultural practices, practices particular to his white culture. He didn't realize that Dr. Twist would need to forfeit his own cultural heritage, and this would rob him of something beautiful, something precious that God had given him. It's precisely this kind of misunderstanding that I want uh, to address today. Obviously, this is a subject that we could spend a lot longer than we have this morning discussing, and we wouldn't nearly exhaust all of its facets. So my goal today is a lot more focused than that. We're not going to discuss all of it. Uh, I want to draw from the context that we've heard already this morning, Genesis 15 and Acts 10, and I want those uh, passages to inform our exploration of another passage in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 2. Uh, this is an episode in the early church that informs our present-day context. It's an episode that I think is really important for understanding how culture and identity in Christ uh, are related to one another. But before we dive in, would you join me in uh, pray for the Spirit's illumination? Father, we do uh, recognize that we are wading into deep waters, diving into deep waters, and so we ask for your help. We ask for your Spirit's illuminating presence uh, to illuminate the scriptures, the wisdom of, of your spirit to our hearts and to our minds. I pray for uh, our hearts to be opened, our minds to be opened, and most of all, I pray that we would be transformed by you. Uh, let everything that I say uh, that, is, that is not of you, let it fall to the floor. But what is of you, what you want us to hear this morning, what you want us to take away, I pray that it would land I pray that it would stick. I pray that it would transform us. And I pray that we would be better for it as a community, better for it as disciples, better for it as Roots Covenant Church. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. All right. So, quick recap. Four weeks ago, we began this series talking about garden culture, the way God intended human culture to work. We talked about how God created humanity in the imago Dei, that Latin phrase that means the image of God, to be divine representatives on earth, to cultivate, to uh, steward, to uh, shepherd, and to uh, care, take care of the creation on God's behalf. This image of God is less about attributes that we possess and more about a calling with which we are blessed. This also entails celebrating the unity and the diversity of the creation. We talked about that. And we talked about how ultimately this is about cultivating the shalom of the earth. Shalom is that Hebrew concept that I talk about a lot. Wholeness, harmony, right relatedness, and all of its dimensions. And then we talked about how this shalom got disrupted. It got disrupted when humanity grasped for and partook in judgment the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, by placing ourselves in the place of God, in the role that only God is suited for, to judge. And that introduced into the world something called shame. Remember the, the naked first parents clothed themselves and they hid. Shame leads to hiding. And shame turned outward turns to blame. They started the blame game. 
which we still play to get today. And that blame game grew and grew until it reached uh, full, you know, full, it grew up into death uh, in the story of Cain and Abel. Shame and blame led to violence, and violence led to death. Then we talked about how Cain externalized that judgment culture into a city, uh, to a social system. He built a city. And we talked about that whole process of externalization into institutions and social systems, and then how those social systems take on a life of their own. And then those social systems internalize those values back into us. We talked about Lamech, the first polygamist, the one who escalates retribution, all the way leading up to Babylon. And Babylon is that place where all the languages, all the diversity of the earth was suppressed and captivated and stripped and was made one language, and people were forced to build a tower uh, in, in Babylon. And uh, so I made that case last week. If, you, uh, if, that's, a, if that's a new interpretation for you, uh, listen to last week's sermon, and feel free to ask me any questions you have. So the first 11 chapters of Genesis form this trajectory, this unit of Scripture leading up to the culmination in Babylon, leading up to this, this ultimate descent of human culture into rebellion. It goes from judgment to shame to blame to violence to death to empire. But chapter 12 turns a corner. In the book of Genesis, chapter 12 is this new unit of Scripture. God is going to launch God's rescue mission to redeem humanity and to to renew the earth through Abraham's family. Chapter 12 begins with the calling of Abraham, uh, the the message to Abraham, and the entire uh, entire Old Testament is the story of this family and its relationship to God. The family of Abraham becomes Israel, and Israel's story is the whole Old Testament. Then, the entire New Testament is the story of the church, the church's relationship to God and neighbor. And the church is founded upon Jesus, the true Israelite, the one in whom Israel's God is enfleshed. So, the covenant that God cuts with Abraham is going to show up prominently in the passage that we're going to zoom in on today. But we're going to ask a few questions first. We have to ask, what does that covenant that God cut with Abraham, what's it got to do with me? What's it got to do with us? What's it got to do with how God is redeeming humanity? What's it got to do with Jesus? What's it got to do with the gospel? We're going to, talk, we're going to briefly talk about that. So, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your land, your family, and your father's household for the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name respected, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. This last piece is so critical. All the families, all the people groups, all the ethnic groups of the earth will be blessed through Abraham's family. So God issues this blessing, and this blessing restores the original blessing that God gave all humanity in the beginning. Only this time, front and center in the blessing is the diversity of all the families of the earth. God isn't interested in scattering them. 
God is only interested in blessing them through Abraham's family. But Abram is human like us, and Abram's got some questions. I would have some questions too. And at chapter 15 that we heard Callie read so, so well, chapter 15 says that at some time later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision, and he said, do not be afraid. I will protect you. I'm your reward, and your reward will be great. And Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? There's his quest, first question. What's, good, what's the good of all these blessings? I don't have an heir. You've given me no child. You've given me no descendants of my own. And so God took Abram outside and said to him, Look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Now, there's a few things that we can draw from this this story. First, God has declared to Abram a promise. And this promise is very good news. God is going to fulfill the promise and make Abram a great nation. And from that nation, God's going to bless all the ethnic groups of the earth. This is good news. We also can notice that Abram trusts in God. So verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness because of his faith. So Abram trusts in God, places his whole life, his whole future in God's hands, and that begins to restore that original right-relatedness between humanity and God that was lost. It begins to repair the breach that has been caused by sin and rebellion. This faith, this allegiance, Abram's allegiance was to God. And Abram begins to form a family that is allegiant to God. And that allegiant family is the family that is in right relationship with God. And that family blesses all the other families of the world. Secondly, God promises Abram a seed. This is a weird word. It just means heir, an heir, someone who's going to carry on the legacy, someone who's going to continue the covenant with God. God promises him a seed, but then he says something strange. Your offspring are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. In other words, uncountable. This one seed, from this one seed is going to form a global family, a family of families. Now, Abram's family is going to go on to be known as Israel. And later, they're going to need to be rescued from Egypt by a leader named Moses. And God's going to use Moses to preserve that allegiance, the allegiance of the family of God. And he does it through something called Torah. This is really important to understand our passage in Galatians 2. If we don't understand the role of Torah, it's going to be really confusing when we get to Galatians. So to, to preserve this allegiant family, their allegiance to God, God uses something called Torah. Torah is the founding story of Israel. It's what we've been tracking with so far in the book of Genesis. But it's also 613 laws. These 613 laws govern the life of Israel and keep it set apart from other families. They mark it off. This is the allegiant family to God. 613 laws. The three biggest of these laws, the, three, the big three, I call them, are circumcision for all males, kosher, Dietary laws, keeping kosher, eating only clean foods. And number three is Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath. Those are the big three. And these 
These act as boundary markers. The people of God are those who keep these laws. And, these are the, and this is the allegiant family. So, Abram places his trust in God, and God cuts covenant with Abram. Before there was ever a Moses. This is really critical. Before there was ever a Torah. Before there were 613 laws that governed the life of Israel. Before all that, Abram places his trust and allegiance in God, and God cuts covenant with Abram. And it's that allegiance that begins to restore the right relatedness that was lost in the fall. You, everyone tracking with me so far? All right. So, Jesus comes on the scene. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he does some strange things, two of which are he gathers 12 disciples, and he starts baptizing people. These are symbolic. Jesus is symbolizing his restoration, reconstitution, renewal of Israel, the allegiant family, the family that is in right relationship with God, that is restoring that original shalom. And Jesus says the whole Torah, all of it points to him. That he is the one in whom all of the Torah's pointing to is being fulfilled in him. He's like the Torah in the flesh. But at this point, it's not entirely clear what does that have to do with me and you. At this point, it's like, okay, but where are the Gentiles in this equation? You've talked a lot about the Jewish people, Israel, the allegiant family, Abraham's offspring. What about the Gentiles? Well, do you remember Jesus commands his disciples to go into all the nations? all the ethnos, all the ethnic groups of the world, baptize them into the church, into the allegiant community, and disciple them. And that's why we read Acts 10. Because Acts 10 is this story that, that explains to us how difficult that transition was for someone like Peter. Peter is from the family of Israel. Peter is Jewish. Cornelius is a Roman Cornelius is a Gentile. And everything in Peter's cultural heritage and worldview tells him that, Peter, that uh, Cornelius is categorically a sinner. Categorically sinner because he's a Gentile. And because he does not keep Torah. Peter hasn't kept the, 16, the 613 laws of Torah perfectly. And Peter knows that if it wasn't for God's grace through Jesus, he would be on the outside looking in. He knows this. But there's still something in him that says Cornelius is a Gentile. He's unclean. That's why God had to, had to give him that vision of the sheet three times. Three times. He had, to, he had to hammer it into Peter's head. Don't call unclean what I have made clean. So, as a Torah-observant Jew, Peter would have never shared table fellowship with a Gentile like Cornelius. Peter told them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with him. 
But God has shown me that I, will, I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So God reveals to Peter the global and universal scope of the gospel. That in the Messiah, God was forming one covenanted family from all the ethnic groups of the world. And Peter is amazed by this. This is, this is beyond his imagining. So Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, not just Israel, Lord of all. So I want you to imagine this scene. Sometimes I just, I just imagine this scene because to me it's so incredible. Peter is looking pretty rough. I, I picture Peter as a pretty burly dude. Do you guys do that too? I mean, he's a career fisherman. He's got a, he's got a business. I imagine he's a pretty burly dude. Big, bushy beard, brown skin, and he's looking pretty rough because he's just journeyed a pretty far way to get to Cornelius' house. So he's here, and he's not very happy about being there. So I imagine he's a little bit grumpy. <laughs> so burly, grumpy, bushy beard, Peter. And he's in the house of this Roman centurion. Do you remember when the Roman centurion's uh, messengers came to Peter's house and they said, you know, call for Peter? And Peter was like, uh, I'm the guy you're looking for. Can you imagine that moment? That's a scary moment. You know, the Roman centurion's messengers or attendant has come to your house. And they're looking for you. I don't know if I would have said, I'm that guy. I would have been like, uh, who wants to know? <laughs> but he's in this house of the Roman centurion. And guys, this is scary. Because Peter has no doubt known people. He's no doubt, no doubt at least heard of people. Terrorized. Possibly even crucified in Galilee because of the Romans. I've said this before, a couple years before Jesus was born, uh, the Romans crucified 2,000 Judea Judeans in Galilee, just lined the streets with them. And so Peter's never associated with somebody like this because somebody like this is an enemy. Now, picture Cornelius. Cornelius is probably an olive-skinned European He's probably battle-worn from his career in the military. He's probably still wearing a crimson tunic. He's got uh, memories of people who look like Peter defeated on the battlefield. He's got memories of people who look like Peter who have been forced to carry Roman soldiers' equipment for miles and miles. And he's even probably seen some of them crucified. Now, here's the scene. The scene is Cornelius is about to be baptized by Peter. Peter is going to initiate Cornelius into the family of God. This is a moment that changes history. This is a moment that changes the trajectory of the church. 
And we, and we see this in the book of Acts. We see how from this point on, there's a Gentile mission. There's a mission to the Gentiles. Now, with all of this context, let's now turn to the letter to the church at Galatians, chapter 2, starting in verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul speaking, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he was doing was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends from James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Verse 14. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Verse 17. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law that I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. That's a powerful passage. I think it's one of the most critical passages for understanding culture and identity in Christ today. There's a lot here, and we don't have, we don't have all the time uh, in the world, so I'm just going to focus on a few things. But, but notice something about this letter. Maybe you didn't know this, but this letter to the Galatians is either the oldest Christian writing or the second oldest Christian writing. What that means is this, that this cultural conflict, the trying to figure out what does it look like for Jews and Gentiles to love one another in the body of Christ, is the context for the entire New Testament. Everything you read in the New Testament is in the context of what do we do about this cultural clash in the church. The whole New Testament. It's the subtext of everything we read. Second thing I want to draw your attention to is the gospel. Notice what Paul uh, says in verse 14. That not eating with Gentiles 
meant that Peter was denying the truth of the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like the gospel that I was taught. I was taught a very individualistic, I get my sins forgiven and I go to heaven when I die gospel. And that's a gospel that Paul knows nothing about. What does that gospel have to do with table fellowship between Jews and Gentiles? Paul says that the gospel isn't just about forgiveness and going to heaven when you die. No, the gospel that Paul is talking about is the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, Savior of the whole world, including the Gentiles. That's the gospel. The gospel is that the Jewish Messiah has ushered in the kingdom of God, the age to come, putting an end to the reign of sin and death, putting an end to that judgment culture that has spun out of control and produced shame and blame and violence and empire and war. The gospel is that the Jewish Messiah is restoring the image of God in all peoples and calling the calling of humanity is being restored. The gospel is that Jesus is that seed, the seed of Abraham, the heir according to the promise, the one in whose family all the families of the earth will be blessed. Here's what Paul says five verses later. In the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to the time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all the nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. So that gospel, that good news that God proclaimed to Abram all the way back in Genesis 15 is that God is going to form a new family that are in right relationship with God and is going to restore to humanity that right relatedness that was lost. The image of God, the, the calling to be stewards and vice regents on the earth. The gospel of God that he proclaimed to Abram is that God was going to restore that shalom that was, that, was, uh, that was disrupted and destroyed. So Peter should have known that. Peter should have known that because it was revealed to him at Cornelius' house. But there were cultural forces at work in Peter's life. This is where the waters come in. There were cultural forces like water that Peter was swimming in. And one of those cultural forces was a group called the circumcision. The circumcision was a group of Jewish Christians who believed that in order for Gentiles to become part of the allegiant community, to become part of the, the family of God, they had to first become Jewish. They had to be circumcised and keep Torah. Now, Paul just calls these people agitators. He does, he, he, sometimes he calls them the circumcision, but sometimes he just calls them the agitators. And for Paul, the agitators were those who were opposed to the gospel. He says they even preach a false gospel. That's really no gospel at all, he said. It's not good news at all. By withdrawing from the Gentile Christians out of fear 
of criticism from the agitators, Peter retreated back. He retreated back into his pre-sheet vision. Remember that sheet vision? He retreated back into the pre-sheet vision, pre-Cornelius, pre-global gospel belief system. He retreated back. By withdrawing from the Gentile Christians out of fear of criticism, Peter unwittingly divided the body of Christ. And Paul says he was acting not in accordance with the gospel. Paul will have none of this. Paul hasn't accepted a death sentence by preaching another king in in Rome, in the Roman Empire. He hasn't accepted a death sentence going around preaching Jesus is the true king and facing death at every turn, being stoned to death, near to death, at least once or twice, being shipwrecked at least once or twice, facing famine, facing persecution. He hasn't done all that for Peter to throw it away because he's afraid of the agitators. So Paul wants to be abundantly clear. So here's what he says. Verse 23. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we, placed, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So, by giving our allegiance to Jesus, the Lord of all nations, we form one multi-ethnic family of covenant and promise. We become the true heirs of Abraham, those stars in the sky. By giving our allegiance to Jesus, Lord of the nations, we become that family that becomes a blessing to all other families. And by giving our allegiance to Jesus, we are made right with God, and that shalom is being restored in us. But some will take this message, and they will say, all the ethnic and cultural distinctions are done away with. They will say, oh, like uh, the white pastor who Dr. Twist spoke with and asked about his native identity and his Christian identity. They'll say, don't worry about that stuff. Just be like us. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul never denies his Jewish identity. He never denies. He says to Peter to his face, you and I are Jews by birth. He knows his cultural and ethnic identity, but he knows that there is another identity that is encompassing all identities, that is gathering up all the different cultural groups and ethnic groups into one family. I love what Dr. Twist says about this in One Church, Many Tribes. This is, this is it. He says, people are looking for ways out of the destructive cycle of blame, 
unforgiveness, hatred, and bitterness. Only Jesus can lead us out into the promised land of reconciliation. From Adam and Eve's disobedience and consequential expulsion from the garden to Cain's murder of Abel, from the peoples of the earth being scattered at Babel until now, human beings have been in need of being reconciled to God and to one another. All creation is waiting for liberation, freedom, a return to its original state of sinless existence with the Creator. As the family of God, we are being called to bring healing to these divisions among cultures and people groups and to demonstrate to the world a power and grace to walk with one another in true honor and respect, declaring that there is a better way, the Jesus way. I love that. I love, I love the way Dr. Twist brings, brings us home. So here's what this means for you and me in St. Paul in 2018. Each one of us has a cultural and ethnic identity. Everybody. Every hu- if you're human, you have a cultural and ethnic identity. Please do not call non-white people ethnic people around me. It drives me crazy. Every human being has ethnicity. There are not ethnic people and non-ethnic people. That's not a thing. So don't do that. In fact, calling non-white people ethnic is a way of normalizing whiteness and otherizing non-whiteness. Can I get an amen? That's racist. So please don't do that around me. Okay. Since every person has an ethnic and cultural heritage given to them by God, we are on a journey together to discover how God is revealed through them. God is revealed through them. Each one of our cultural and ethnic heritages, our ethnicities, the way in which God has made us, God is revealed through them. And we need to celebrate that. At the same time, we also need to repent of the ways in which our cultural and ethnic heritages have malformed us. That happens too. There's sin mixed in to our cultures. Again, Dr. Twist captures this so well. As created beings, we have a creator. And though marred by sin, our cultures still carry some markings of the divine and holy nature of our creator. As Christians, we do not represent only one culture in terms of ethnicity or nation of origin. The things we have in common as followers of the Jesus way are supracultural. I love that word. I don't know if he coined that word, but I'm going to give him credit. Supracultural. The fruit of the Spirit and the conduct and, uh, and character that reflects the life committed to the Lord and his word should be among the common features we share as followers of the Jesus way. So, we here at Roots Covenant Church have just begun to scratch the surface of our journey into discovering, exploring, understanding, and celebrating the various ways that God has revealed through our 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 diverse cultural and ethnic heritages. We've just begun to scratch the surface. But what I want to say is that that's the journey that we're called onto. That's the journey that we're on together, is to discover the ways God has revealed in and through them and to repent of the ways in which we've been malformed by them. 
We've just begun to scratch the surface. And then we are also on a journey together of discovering those supracultural, body of Christ, fruit of the Spirit, ways in which we are united in Christ. That is the journey we're called onto. And it's going to require humility. It's going to require humility because it's going to require unlearning. You have to root out some of the, un, the judgment and the shame and the hiding and the blame that have been woven into our cultural and ethnic heritages. It's going to require recognizing cultural captivity, ways in which we've bought into uh, the lie that assimilation into dominant culture is God's will. We're going to have to see those waters that we're swimming in, and we're going to have to repent of them. And it's going to require listening to one another, hearing each other's stories, hearing each other's different perspectives, and honoring those stories. That's what it's going to require. And that's why uh, I'm really excited about the next couple of weeks of the series. The next couple of weeks of the series, uh, we're going to have some different voices, not my voice. My voice cannot be the sole voice of this series. Uh, that, that's not honoring to the, the spirit of this series. So I'm really excited that next week, Durr is going to be our guest preacher. And Durr is uh, someone that I'm getting to know, someone that I, I'm, I'm, I really enjoy getting to know Durr. And I've, I've just enjoyed our talks. Durr is, uh, has a pastoral heart for the church. And Durr, is, he shares the, the values of Roots. He shares this, this vision of a multi-ethnic community uh, focused on reconciliation and seeking the shalom of the city. Also, we have a ton of friends in common from out in Fuller in L.A. Um, he lived with some of the friends of mine from, from church, and I'm really excited about the message he has to share with us next week. Um, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but I want to say that it's going to delve even deeper into this, this, this way that we are exploring and are trying to understand the, the relationship between our cultural heritages and our unity in Christ. So it's going to be good. And then in two weeks, Oshida will be preaching for us. She's not a guest preacher. <laughs> she's, she's one of us, but she's someone who has given this subject a lot of thought. As a, a black woman in America, finding her identity in that way, and as a Christian in America, finding her identity in that way, she has written about this, and she's spoken about this. She's spoken about this at a Mennonite megachurch in Canada. I mean, how many people can say that? I feel like one, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then after that, uh, in a couple of weeks, the pastor who discipled me changed my spiritual diapers, I like to say. Ter- Terrence Austria, I, 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 he goes by Terrence now, I, go on, I call him Terry. Terry Austria uh, is a Filipino-American uh, Chicago native. He, he's, he's a Chicagoan. Uh, he's been a pastor for over two decades, serving college students at the U of I, his alma mater, and he currently serves a ministry called Salt and Light, Fighting Poverty with Dignity. All right, here's, here's what I want to say in closing. Fellow misfits, the gospel of Jesus is that God is making all things new. Through Jesus, the Spirit, and us, we are part of that redemptive mission. God is forming a new people that are going to be a blessing to all the families of the world. That's us. In all of our beautiful ethnic and cultural identities, 
We are those who are finding identity in Christ, passionately worshiping God, and purposefully seeking the renewal of our city. So if you feel comfortable doing so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you to stand, and you can stretch out your hands like you're going to receive something from God. And I want to bless you with these words. May the God of Abraham, the God of the promised heir, Abraham's seed, the Messiah, may that God bless us on our deep dive into culture and identity in Christ. May we discover all the beautifully diverse ways that God has made us. May we discover all the glorious ways God is forming us anew in Christ. May we be fully liberated from cultural captivity and domination. And may we be free to learn and grow from the cultures of others. And may we live into that universal scope of the gospel by which God is renewing the whole world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.